Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 268, Converting to Online Play. Presented by Vivian Abraham and Jason Cox. We're live. Yay. Hopefully people can hear us. I hope so. Um, so just so you know, you're in the right panel. Uh, this is about converting in-person games to online play. Um, and if you want to stay, that's great. And if you are like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to be in a different panel, then now you know. Um, but I figure I'll do, should we do introductions first? Sure. Yeah. Yes, let's do introductions first. So I'm Vivian Abraham. Uh, my pronouns are complicated, but they're she, they, he. Um, and I am a game designer for fun. I edit games occasionally for monies. Um, and I'm otherwise an attorney for a national nonprofit. And I'll pass it over to Jason. Uh, I think game designer for fun sounds like a wonderful 80s song. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Jason Cox. Uh, I am a professor, uh, an assistant professor of, a, of art education and the head of an art education program in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, game design is the focus of my research. It's what I used in my dissertation. Specifically, I was using LARP as an arts-based research method. So I write about it uh, academically. Uh, I use games that I play with other people as as a tool of uh, self-investigation and expression. And I do also write games, generally, uh, not for money, um, but for fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, and we have a third panelist who may or may not show up. Uh, and if he does, we'll introduce him when that happens. I think it's 7 a.m. where he is, so that might be the problem. You know, really super early. <laughs> That's fair. And also a lot of us have been underslept lately for reasons. So um, speaking of, uh, we are all in a, a very strange time. And um, a lot of that has impacted people's lives in different ways. And some of them are very serious ways. And some of them are, I can't game with my friends every week. What's with that? Um, or I can't play test my card games or my board games. Um, that's going to make my life that much more miserable. And so a lot of people have started converting their games to be played online. Sometimes this is easy. Uh, there's a lot of tools out there that we're all really familiar with, I think. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time going through. There's, you know, there's Roll20. There's, um, there's, there's lots and lots of board game simulator uh, sites that allow you to put things together. Uh, this panel is about the tricky games, <laughs> the games that don't really switch over super easily to an online setting. 
Um, and to give some background, the reason I, I pitched this panel is that I run a house convention every 4th of July weekend called PicnicCon. And one of our core games that we love to play every time is Encore. Encore is a game about group singing. <laughs> uh, group singing is hard to do on Zoom. Very, very hard. There are special apps for group singing, but they're complicated and no one has them unless they're already a musician. Uh, we also like to play The Adventures of Baron Winchhausen, which is a drinking game involving group storytelling. And it was hard. It was hard on Zoom. Uh, so I rewrote the rules to these games to make them work online. Uh, and that's sort of where uh, we are now. Uh, and I took different approaches to that. And I wanted to talk about sort of some of the tools that, um, that are out there uh, that you might not think are gaming tools. Uh, and some of the tools that are just being developed since the pandemic started. Um, and I don't want to do all the talking, so I'm going to pass it to Jason to do some talking, and then I'll talk some more. Sure. Um, so my take on things is is in the venue of education, obviously, where 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 I am. Uh, but I talk about it in terms of uh, a, a kind of visual literacy, um, and I think that's where I would actually begin the conversation. So. Any given tool that you're using, any any interface, requires a level of comfort on the part of all the players involved. So if you're not real familiar with Discord or, or Twitch, then you may have encountered some problems this morning. Uh, we did, and we're relatively familiar. Um, you have to know where the tools are. You have to know how to use them. You have to feel comfortable using them to interact. So one of the things to keep in mind uh, with these formats is that you have to think of it as a communal space, a communal space, and and everybody needs to have uh, a degree of equality in there, a degree of access, a degree of comfort. Otherwise, frankly, they're not going to be functional. Um, no matter how many bells and whistles, no matter how how wonderful the tool is, um, if it's not accessible, it does not matter. Straight doesn't. Um, some of the tools uh, that we, we can talk about pretty easy are, are well known. There's there's Discord, there's Zoom, uh, Facebook Messenger, <laughs> um, Google Meet, because they got rid of Hangouts, which was the best tool, but apparently Google didn't think so, um, and things like that. And then there's uh, other ones that have become uh, more available, uh, and a lot of them do require an intro period. So if you use them as as your gaming platform, you're going to want to take people on a tour of them, give them a moment to familiarize themselves with the tools. Uh, things like gather or spatial chat. Um, and for those who so, don't know, do you want to tell them a little bit about what gather is? Because it's great, but it is I've used, a learning. Curve. I've used spatial chat a whole lot more than I've used oh, gather. So if you I want to talk about gather, gather, I can. Gather is, is like playing a video game, right? You have a little avatar and you move it around on the screen. But what's clever about it is that as you get closer to a group of people, you, you get to hear them and see them. Uh, so you can wander from place to place in the room in a very uh, fluid, natural way. Uh, it's really great for things like um, uh, what we used to call, I don't know if people call it this, uh, secrets and powers LARPs, but parlor LARPs, right? Where uh, you have maybe 20 or 30 people interacting in a space, but you don't want to interact with all 20 or 30 at the same time. In fact, you very specifically want to be able to have private little conversations from, from place to place and move fluidly through those different spaces. 
which is pretty much the same thing Spatial Chat does. Uh, Spatial Chat has some limitations on the free version. On the free version, you can only have four people in a room at a time. You can have multiple rooms. Uh, if you have the not a free version, you can set up rooms that will be there when you come back to them and that can have images stuck in place, that can have uh, videos stuck in place. Um, I set up one on the floor plan of a museum, a real life museum, and then I put pictures of works that are in the museum about where they are in the museum. They were relatively high resolution. So you can do a lot of fun things. Um, they're still developing these programs in a lot of ways. They, they were just coming online uh, when the pandemic hit. They pushed them a little bit harder. They released them probably before they meant to. So it's not that they're buggy, but their functionality is actually still in play. Uh, I, I referenced Google Hangouts before, actually. And I would say it's a little bit <laughs> like that. Google Hangouts used to be a very versatile medium. Um, because uh, third-party people were coming in and, and monkeying around with it, which is actually why they got rid of it, because it turns out that meant you had no security, and they didn't like that. Uh, but the, these new tools are changing, uh, probably literally while we are speaking. Um, so I just want to interrupt really quick and say that if anyone has any questions, we do have somebody to mind the queue, and uh, feel free to ask them whenever and we'll just answer them as as they come up. You don't have to save them till the end. I'm sorry, I didn't mean That's to right. um, one Do you want to talk about like the, the tools that no one uses? Sure, let me <laughs> let me finish one more thing and then we oh, yeah. can go, go, ahead, go ahead. Uh, One thing that I know Spatial Chat has and I presume Gather has and that we can use in other places is emoticons. Um, it's a quick visual language. It, because we have a hard time reading faces, because it, not everyone can talk at once, I actually encourage you to make use of them. They're they're a part of the medium. Uh, people can throw them up real quick if if people feel passionate or laughing or whatever. Sometimes it's going to be more effective if you're using those things. Again, the accessibility of this part of it is making your players aware of that and modeling their use. Um, so with that, let's move over <laughs> into the tools everybody uh, that that everyone has but nobody uses for games. Um, do you want to talk about your use of Google Slides first? Yeah. All right. Google Slides. Okay, so I'm a Microsoft Word Office person. Uh, I use it for work, for my job, and I hate Google <laughs> Slides and Google Docs and all of those uh, because they're not as functional as the Microsoft Office products. But everyone has access to them, and everyone is relatively familiar with them. Um, and so I started playing around with Google Slides, and I discovered it's actually really great for gaming. Um, and I translated Baron Munchausen into Google Slides. Technically what I did was I mashed up two games. One is The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which if you're not familiar is a drinking storytelling game about telling tall tales. Uh, and the other is Lexicon, which is a game about writing a dictionary together. And so uh, I, sw I, smushed, I smushed these two concepts together and what, everyone did during their turn was create a Google slide. You have a very limited word count. So it sort of makes you, you know, focus your thought a little bit better. You have space to put pictures and fonts and backgrounds and make it as cool and pretty as you want, which gives you sort of the opportunity to capture that larger than life, you know, 
uh, we, you know, when we play Baron Munchausen, there's a lot of grand gesturing and things like that. And it's hard to translate that onto Zoom. So this gives that opportunity. Um, and, uh, and everyone would like start a story and then seed parts of the story for other people to pick up on. Uh, so at the end of the game, you had a series of interconnected tall tales in the form of a very long Google Slides presentation with a lot of really cool art. Um, it was a lot of fun and it worked really well. I'm going to be running it at ExtraCon over the course of the weekend uh, if anyone is attending ExtraCon, which is what InterCon is when it is online, if anyone was curious about that. Uh, and then, so, so most people I think are aware of Google Slides, but how many people out there are aware of Google Draw? I would love to talk about Google Draw. I'm sure you would. <laughs> so Google Draw is is uh, an imperfect drawing medium. Um, it is awkward, uh, but it's got an advantage. So, and that's that uh, that more than one person can can use it at the same time. Um, the the place that I, I first really came to appreciate it is the way Richard Rogers uses it in Hit the Streets, Defend the Block. Uh, he adapted rules from another game that was called uh, The Hood, which was about a neighborhood. And right at the beginning of the game, everybody works together to do neighborhood creation, where first one person adds a street, and then the next person adds a street, and it has to touch a pre-existing street. And every person who adds a street has to touch at least one street that was already there. Uh, and then you take turns adding housing and, and you build out the neighborhood kind of organically that way, but everyone takes turns. So this comes to something to keep in mind with the use of these tools again, uh, especially as GMs that are trying to facilitate access. Sometimes we, uh, we hoard control like dragons. Um, but the fact of the matter is that it's, it's not much fun to watch other people be creative uh, if you don't have skin in the game. So interactive media is in many ways more useful and Google Draw creates investment in the neighborhood by having everybody have a say, not just in, in what's there, but in exactly where it is and how close it is to the burger house or where the farmer's market is, uh, how, the, how to get off road, um, where the river runs through town, it may define the town. So these kind of tools. Emily Kerboss's name of the rose being done in Google Draw very easily. I think we should right? get Emily to do that. <laughs> we should, I think we should do that right yeah. now. I don't know if she's here. We should say I, Emily. That would be awesome. Uh, and I would have I, Emily is one of my very favorite people. I would love to do that. Um, so, so um, that's the general uh, cool thing about Google Apps in general is that 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 more than one person can can access them. Um, but you want to push the interactive angles if you're going to use a thing that's as clunky as Google Draw is, then you should take advantage of the uh, the potentiality it has. Um, the Gauntlet's done a lot of neat things uh, online because that's that's their medium. Uh, but remember again that you always have to make it accessible because the Gauntlet uses it all the time. So that's where Richard started using Google Draw. If you want to use it with other people make sure that you walk them through things step-by-step, uh, step, construct on their previous understandings. This is how you know I'm a teacher. Um, I, I I wanted to, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe we should switch the topic order sure. just in case a third panelist shows up. 
because originally the next topic was something that he was going to speak to a lot because he's a tabletop board, not tabletop, a uh, board game designer as opposed to a tabletop RPG designer. Um, so let's let's move around a little bit. Um, do we have any questions in the queue that now would be a good time to answer? People just really like it, hearing us talk. Just they, they yeah, that's it. That's it. They're not. <laughs> that's what it is. Oh. Uh, I can touch on one one other thing. I was talking about this uh, earlier. Since we're here, um, when we're dealing with four or five people like this, uh, video works pretty well. When you're dealing with a larger amount of people, make use of the chat. Uh, there Chat's is... there. Oh, good. Oh, hey. There is one question. Um, Meta Paradox 11 would like to know if there is any way he can get in contact with uh, Vivian to talk about an app he is creating for GatherTown. Absolutely. Um, you can, uh, probably the easiest way is to just direct message me in Discord. Um, I'm Vivian Abraham in there, which you can see my little, uh, my little thing. Okay. But not during the panel, because I, I, I have too many screens open at the same time already. I have one other question from Entro Games. Uh, they asked if there is any particular game you can't translate yet into online play. I don't believe that there is any game, and I'm including games that are really hard. I don't believe there's any game you can't translate it to online play. But I would accept a challenge. I'll, I'll offer a different. Uh, <laughs> I'll offer a different perspective. Sure. Um, I think that there are games that, if you move them online, a lot of games, honestly, are, which are fundamentally different yes, to the point where they are, fair. they are at that point not the same game. We're um, going to talk at the end about what the core of your game means, because you can change a lot of things about a game. I wrote a game for Golden Cobra. And the core mechanic, and it's a pretty important mechanic, involves closing your eyes, reaching out to your fellow players, and clasping hands, if there are hands available to clasp. And negotiating that physically, I have no idea how it would work online. I'm working on it. I, I, I feel confident that it can be done because I feel like the the core of my game, and I'll talk more about this at the end. I don't want to get too far ahead, but I feel like the core of my game is that sensation, that feeling of reaching out to somebody and wondering if they're actually going to be there to connect to you and to get to hold you and to get you. And that's a very online experience, right? So I, I think it can be done. I'll, I'll talk more about I'll talk more about that game at the end because I want to talk about it, but I, I don't want to get too all over the place. Uh, let's talk about advantages of being online because I do think let me, let me add on to the topic that we were just on. Sorry. Um, so, so in terms of games that, that present difficulty, there's the physicality, uh, say a little prayer is the game that I was thinking of would be difficult to make an adjustment because there's a lot of interphysicality and moving through space that, uh, would be difficult to capture digitally and the, the feelings of loss as characters, uh, die in that game is one that I think would be harder to hold on to. Um, and then there's games like um, The White Death, uh, which which relies 
a lot on on having uh, environmental effects, on limited light, on being able to move around. On, um, so, so games that rely a lot on freedom of movement and on being there are going to necessarily be the hardest ones to, to capture and translate, uh, at least mechanically speaking. Uh, you can get to the core, like Vivian was saying, and, and express that core in some other way, but the uh, the mechanics that are there are pretty reliant on being there. Um, that being said, as we'll come back to, there are games that are more possible in an online world that, lay, that are only possible sometimes because of the virtual connection. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so one of the games in the Golden Cobra this year is my good friend Garrett's Batcave. Uh, yeah, I've not seen it. And the way back, yeah, one of the so very much one of the things that makes Bat Cave work <laughs> is that you take your camera and turn it upside down so that you're all bats hanging in a cave. Uh, as an example, um, it do you remember the, way the, bat the world. game's name? I meant to look it up, but I can't remember it. The game about taking a bath together, I do not. Oh. Uh, could try to find it. Maybe someone in the chat will look it up. I'm afraid to go out of this window. The last time I went out, of this window, <laughs> I, well, I I lost everything. It had to come back in again. <laughs> so the Golden Cobra this year in particular, uh, if you're not familiar with Golden Cobra, just to back up for a second, <laughs> it is a a competition every year that runs in a short uh, run. It's I looking for the name of that game is the Bathhouse. Thank you. Thank you. Uh. Uh, sh uh, it's looking for games that can be written on very few sheets of paper, uh, ideally by people that are less well-known designers, although, to be honest, that has um, increasingly stopped being the case. Uh, but but the, you get a wide variety of very creative games. And this year, the games were meant to look at ways of creating connectivity even though we cannot physically connect. And, and a lot of designers really took that to heart. Um, so I do, like, as much as Vivian and I will remember to talk about today, there's no chance we're going to remember all the genius games that are there. They're all free to download. Uh, there's a Yeah. I, go find them, play them. Um, play mine and Vivian's. That'll be good. Uh, oh, yeah. Mine's not for this year. Mine's for a previous uh, year. But they're you, all can, you can find this in the previous year, too. Um, yeah, so, um, so we start with Batcave, uh, another classic one at this point, it's been out for a couple of years is View Scream, if you've never seen that. So View Scream is a horror game, but it uses the fact that everybody is, is sitting and, and is a, basically a window of video as the key to interaction. Um, because the idea is for instance, Everybody is trapped on a doomed spaceship, and the only way you can talk is through the communication monitors, or your wizards trying to talk through magic mirrors, or what have you. Uh, things that adjust so that the, the, the computer is not something trying to simulate being together, but something that instead uses that mode of interaction as, as, a, as a tool of creation. Um, and in ViewScreen, typically as people uh, die off, because it's it's set up so that at least one person ain't going to make it, um, your your camera goes dead. Uh, you keep your your 
headphones on, you, you keep listening, you, you probably kill your mic, but your camera goes out uh, until you only have very few people left to survive the night. Um, so I also want to talk about, um, in terms of advantages of being online, sure. um, we can play games while playing other games. Uh, the big example of this is Minecraft, right? So Minecraft is a very, you know, open worldy kind of thing. You can do anything in Minecraft, right? Um, my son, who is 14, plays a lot of Minecraft. And the great thing about it is that you can be playing an entirely different game and simply use Minecraft as your medium of getting some of that feel of, of doing stuff, right? And of accomplishing things. Um, you can use, uh, you know, phone games. There's a lot of really simple interactive phone games that you can use for your mechanic. Uh, and then, and, 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 and then you can be doing a zoom call and doing all of the role playing or maybe doing a different aspect of the game, or even just doing table talk at the same time that you're doing this other game. Uh, and the cool thing about this is that sometimes the advantage the the, the goal will not be to win this other game, right? Uh, so it, it really lets you just take that game and use it however you want. So you can imagine a situation where you're, uh, the, the new hotness is among us, right? Which is a social deduction traitor sort of game where you boot somebody out the airlock. Um, but one of the things that I've been noodling in the back of my head is uh, a game where you're playing among us probably multiple iterations of Among Us, but you're also playing a totally different game where you have an actual character with goals and motivations and you can role play stuff and do things. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, that's another example. It would be weird for everybody to get together on a Thursday night and sit there and stare at their phone, <laughs> but it's not weird today. It is, uh, in, in academic speak, this is, what we call a pervasive game. Um, so if you've ever seen people that are out LARPing in the real world, being a vampire, even though they're in a coffee shop, or even up to a certain point when you're dealing with things like Pokemon Go, yep. uh, things that are, are moving the game outside of the, the limited context that we typically think of them. But people were already doing this in World of Warcraft, where technically there isn't a requirement that you role play, but people do. Uh, people role play in World of Warcraft, or they they take on the role of being the photographer uh, and take pictures of the rest of the team being cool, um, and and ways to to readjust games that are already out there. I think Among Us is is got a pretty low bar, uh, not low bar, low barrier of entry in 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 engaging in that aspect. I played it. AOC plays it, so it's cool. I didn't have a cat. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I think that's... Uh, um, I think uh, one I of the things that, that... Two questions. That if we, we oh, yeah. Kind of relevant now. And then we'll take some. But no, I'm good. I was just going to talk more about oh, it. Good? I was going to throw more academic words in. Uh <laughs> I'll finish the thought. Uh, so there's this concept. Uh, I learned it from Jessica Hammer, who's a brilliant woman uh, and, and, and talented doctor, and she makes brilliant games. Uh, affordances, which was originally used in a lot of social theory, 
and this is talking about the the traits a game has. Um, from a certain perspective, they can be uh, an advantage or a disadvantage. It really depends on how you're using them. Uh, I normally use a spoon as example. You, you use a spoon to lift food into your mouth, but also if it's metal, it's got a bendable quality. It's got reflective surface that's convex. It's concave. It's conductive. Whatever. Uh, depending on your given spoon, it has various traits that um, give it uh, uh, functionality. And it's also developed a lot of these traits in relation to how it is used. The, the shape of a spoon is determined by the shape of a human hand, determined by social mores, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so when you're looking at the platforms that you're using, don't think of it necessarily in terms of advantages and disadvantages, but look for traits. Uh, what is it that makes this platform special? Let's take those questions. Yeah, let's. All right, so the first one is, would you say it is better to make online tools as diegetic as possible? Um, one thing that I've always actually loved about gaming online is moving transmedia. So if you have uh, a Pinterest board that, that has like all your inspirational stuff, that goes transmedia. If you have fiction that everybody in the group is allowed to contribute to, and you have like a Google folder where people can just add to the fiction, that's transmedia. Uh, anything you can do that that draws on the various attributes, um, the the tools that the the online virtual world has, those technically all add to the diegesis, even though they are uh, technically operating outside of it because they're transmedia. Um, but to be honest, it depends on the game. It depends on the players. I would also suggest that. Um... While I think immersive games are great, and I play a lot of them, um, I would suggest that uh, there's sort of a desire right now, since we're living in the hell timeline, for some games to avoid too much bleed and too much sense of, oh my God, I'm in this reality because Oh my God, we're in this reality, right? So if you're if you're using your game as a form of escapism, that's great. If you're using your game as a form of social commentary on things that are really happening in the real world, that's totally great too. Um, I would say that there's also a lot of call for games that are like, yeah, screw reality. <laughs> let's just let's just have some fun and roll some dice. <laughs> so, so one, two. oh, go ahead. Sorry. Did we have another question? Oh, I thought I thought you were still I, the one thing I wanted to comment on real quick was um, one thing I like doing when I'm role playing online is I use the chat to make smarmy comments and observations uh, because that way I don't interrupt the flow of conversation. Um, so the chat ends up being kind of a, a sub chatter that specifically breaks diegesis. But uh, is enjoyable because it allows that to happen in a in a space that doesn't interrupt the storytelling, um, and that's how I enjoy doing it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of us game for social reasons, right? And we're all under socialized in some sense because we're not getting to 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 do the kinds of social interactions that we used to. So, uh, yeah, something to think about. So yes, there was. A uh, did we have another? Um, 
In regards to accessibility of online play, are there any particular accessibility issues to think about when converting to online play? Yes. Um, oh, yes. So yes, yes, yes. to point specifically to spatial chat in Gather, um, I was running a game recently where someone had uh, actually had throat surgery recently. So having a, a, a medium that relies more or less on sound uh, is a problem. Like, and if you can't see very well, neither of those work particularly well. If you're um, in PDF, you can't use this. You can't always, sometimes you can, you can't always use a screen reader to read it. And mm -hmm. many people don't have printers. I was asked as a play test. I have a play test tomorrow. And the GM was like, hey, print out your character sheet so you can draw on. And I'm like, I don't have a printer. I'm not going to walk to Staples in the pandemic if I don't have to. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, that's a, I mean, I often make an assumption that everyone has a printer and, and it's not a good assumption. Um, so, so there's, there is a, there is a problem with ableism. Uh, sometimes that you have to keep in mind with these things, uh, things that, that create accessibility for one group may destroy it for another. Um, and so, yeah, the, that's the first thing to consider, um, is, is kind of inherent ableist principles that, that we sometimes miss if we ourselves are, are not disabled in a particular way, or if we are, are privileged enough to, to own a printer. Uh, or or other privileges that we might have. Um, I mean, one of the things to keep in mind is is even Wi-Fi um, is not universally reliable. And the the more visual stimuli that is involved, the more video, the more fancy whatnots, um, the more difficult it is going to be for some people to participate. I would say two other things. One uh, one component of accessibility is privacy. Uh, it's something that we often take for granted, but there are people, so I live in a house, it's a small house, but it's a house, it has a few doors, I live with two other people, it's very hard for me to get out of earshot. Uh, when I have therapy, I have to make my husband and my son wear headphones, because like, there's no way for me to have privacy otherwise. Um, uh, people who live in circumstances with more people in their immediate space don't have a lot of privacy and that's an accessibility concern now. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say is that, hey, you know what's really great right now is that you should hit up your disabled friends because they have tools you are not aware of and have not thought of or played with yet uh, that are extremely useful. So I'm not uh, physically disabled and so I'm not really the person to speak to that, but um, man, there's a lot of really cool stuff out there. Um, I'm also going to talk a little bit again about the visual. I, I think I mentioned earlier that if you have a, a screen that is full of faces, like four or five is fine. But it, once you get more to that, it's it's it is visually taxing to look at that much. Um, there is no place to rest your eye, uh, and the the visual format does actually make a difference. It's it's one of the things I struggle with with Discord. The way it's it's set up is very pretty, but to look at it for a very long period, I find. Um, difficult. And as a side effect, it tends to mean that I'm like, uh, I'm going to go check my Facebook. Um, it pushes me away. So, so there are some visual things to keep in mind in terms of that accessibility as well. Like how long can you look at this? Um, and 
ultimately one of the things that you're going to need is is ways to keep people engaged uh the longer that they are not engaged the longer that they are not either talking or doing something the more likely it is not that they break immersion but that they don't feel like it's a game they are participating in they are not players uh, they don't feel social they don't feel like what they do matters um and that's it's going to damage the play experience yeah so um it's about a little over half an hour in i don't think we're going to get our third panelist so let's go back to um building atmosphere and doing tactile play and i'll tell you that there's now a new subgenre of game which is my new favorite thing because i really like to cook and cooking games games where you eat together games where you share a meal um games about taste and flavor are like my new favorite thing in the world um and so I, let's talk about like different ways to build atmosphere and also play around with some tactile things that we miss out on when we're online. Um, I mean, those, the, the cooking games is really where, where I have played around with this the most. Um, I'm a very tactile person. I like having pieces to move around when I play on roll 20, when I play Pathfinder, I roll dice. I don't, I don't use the dice rolling online. I like to roll dice and have that tactile feel that I'm doing. Um, what, what are some what are some things that you that you try and capture, Jason, for the tactile or the atmospheric? Well, <laughs> for one thing, you can um, to refer again to view screen. One of the things uh, Raphael, I think his last name's Chandler, suggested in that was that you could take your phone and do it. Do a, a LARP live while moving through space, through through a park or something like that. Um, so if you're you in a can, place where that's safe. Yeah, if you're in a place where that's safe, right? Like, uh, you, not you, can, you can go mobile. Yeah, um, you can go out and and document places and and submit pictures. Um, just because you you don't have as much interaction doesn't mean that the great big world isn't out there uh, ready for you to interact with. Uh, cooking is, I haven't had a chance to actually play a cooking game, but I engage with it um, a little bit differently. I was in the Visionary Arts Museum just before the lockdown, and my favorite work of art was recipes that you could you could take the recipe card home that this woman had brought uh, over from Poland when she was a little girl, uh, right before uh, Nazis were rounding up people in her town. She escaped by train. So it was a recipe she had brought back, and I was like, so you make this and you don't just have the experience of, of eating it and, and appreciating the culture, but you get the, the feel of chopping the ingredients, of, of kneading the dough, the smell of it as it rises up, all the things that lead up to it. It's this, this whole communication of culture through the act of making a delicious dessert bread. Uh, and that, 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 that blew my mind. There is an accessibility thing when you get into cooking like that uh, of the communication of experience, which is that if someone is a terrible cook or, or inexperienced or has um, allergies or, or has allergies, you know, there, there, there are um, limitations to it, but, but it brings in uh, a lot of those different aspects. Um, so, so all those things are, are, are kind of available to us. Um, 
if we want to talk about it in terms of of board games, which is what our our third guest would have been able to talk about, uh, ways to to feel like that. I feel like one of the things that you're looking is is pitfalls, um, which is again looking at the affordances. What are the core mechanics of the game? What does it need? What is it lacking? Um, but also, how does being online fundamentally change the game? And what does that mean for it? Uh, and those are always going to be the questions. Um, I've also played a lot of games that use the restriction, uh, a lot, a few games that operate solely through, say, sound or, or text or some combination of the two. Again, there's... Um, certain amount of, of ableism that you have to watch out for that, that will make those games inaccessible to some players. Uh, but by limiting things down to, to one or two senses in your game design, you can have actually uh, a much more impact. We also talked about things like locking yourself in closet or, or putting yourself in specific I think games in the dark is great uh, because it does. It... it it takes sound, which we have online, and makes it that much more focused to the point where if you are eliminating other senses, you're, you're just, you're going to feel that one a lot more. I think you can do the same thing with a visual game with no sound. I think you can even do the same thing if you have a cooking game and uh, at some point in time you limit sound. And, and light and just sort of experience that one. So so focusing in on the senses that you want to play with, I think is a good there's also, idea. There's also a number of art games uh, that people could consider playing, bringing back the the, the old movements um, that use a concept called derve, right? Um, and this is that- is Can you say it again? Because I didn't catch it. Uh, it's, it, it looks like derive. It's, it's it, it pr pronounce oh. it with a, with a bad French accent the way I do. Uh, derive. Uh, the idea is that there's a, a certain flow to the way cities are designed, intended or not. Um, it's often kind of a, a mishmash of the two because of affordances that we talked about earlier. But you can, again, make sure that you keep yourself safe, but um, add randomness to your to your actions. Do you turn left? Do you turn right? Do you go straight? Take away the ability to determine it. Just wander, and there's ways to incorporate that experience into games. Um, there's a lot of art games that have to do with it's limiting or modifying your capacity for choice. And the effect of that is to give you an alibi for the things that you do uh, that you wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, whether that's seeing something new, playing something new, uh, having a new experience, what have you. Um, a lot of those are going to end up being lonely games, uh, unless you find a way to incorporate someone else into it. Uh, but I think there's potential for that. Very cool. Um, do we have any questions before we go on to our last topic? Yes, we have two questions, actually. Yeah. The first one is, um... Actually, I'll do the second one first because I think it's a little more relevant to what you were just saying. Do you have any ideas for compensating for the lack of phatic communication in online play? Lack, sorry, I missed the word. The lack of... Phatic communication. I'll be honest, I'm not sure what the word means. I, 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 I had to Google it. 
Google gives me Google denoting or relating to language used for general purposes of social interaction rather than to convey information or ask questions. Utterances such as hello, how are you, and nice morning, isn't it? Well, emojis, uh, I think you talked about already. Yeah, like emojis uh, are huge for that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to vary a little bit. Um, so I was playing uh, a couple of weeks ago, a uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. And that's a game that has it set up so that you have uh, a different set of social expectations. And, and much like the visual literacy, you have to find a way of, of, of making uh, comfort and, and access a part of that. So in that game, you have someone who is orchestrating it, who is the, the host of a radio program. So I'm like, you're listening to 101 in the morning, and I'm going to take my first caller. I've got Vivian from Massachusetts. Uh, and then that person oh, is, is dealing with child yeah. care. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so what you're going to need to do is, is to consider how to put those in there and not rely on assumptions. Um, assumptions are always a problem. One of the affordances that we get from being online is that I can be in Ohio. Vivian can be in Massachusetts uh, and people can be all over the world listening to us or, or looking at us and recording, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So physical distance is is collapsed but there's a social distance to be considered uh where we don't necessarily know what our standard expectations are in the first place normally we have the illusion that that is not an issue although frankly it is um but it becomes exaggerated online so we have to establish the the uh common set of principles um i may have wandered a little bit off topic wandered a little bit that's okay because i didn't entirely understand the question to begin with so i appreciate you googling that I will tell you that um, that it is much harder to jump feet first into a game online because you don't have the period of time where everybody comes into the room, sits down in the room, you know, gets their stuff out of their bag, says hello, comments on the weather, that kind of thing. Um, you don't have that that extra space of conversation that doesn't really involve playing the game, which I think is a little bit of what the question was getting at. Um, and that that kind of conversation does continue through the game too. Um, and, and you get less of that. I see a lot of people, and I find myself doing this as well, using hand gestures a lot more. <laughs> uh, and And also making a lot more small talk. Uh, and trying to connect socially and have those social lubricators that we miss. You have to what? Telegraph a little. You have to telegraph a little. You have to uh, really like over, over shit. <laughs> I was going to do that anyway. And we had a second question. Yes. Um, the second question is, do you have any thoughts or advice on designing character keepers for more traditional tabletop RPGs and other games, uh, thinking particularly of Google Sheets and Google Slides? I, I have a, a number of thoughts on that. Um, I love to do it. I, was, I, I had done a lot of that before. Um, part of that's going to be considered about whether or not you do, in fact, want people to just have a sheet that they can fill out at home uh, and print out uh, or, or just keep online. Uh, I actually use a, a 
character sheet with my with my students that I built as just a word file that's got different areas. And the reason I did that is not um, is because it's accessible. It's something that they've seen before, um, so it's easier for them to interact with. Uh, whereas if I were to use a a Google um, spreadsheet, uh, it is something that they are likely less familiar with. If I wanted them to to pop things into that. Um, but when I am working with my players, I, I quite like using the, the, it's like an Excel spreadsheet on Google. Um, I am not very good at, uh, programming those things. There are people I know who are, so I will, I will pass on, uh, the thing you've probably heard before, which is that, uh, great artists steal. So <laughs> what I, I collect those sheets when people have used them, if I see something that's useful, and I'll hold on to it. I'll keep elements of it. Sometimes I'll discard them, replace them with new ones. Um, but but they are very useful, especially if you can have a drop-down menu in them. But I'm not especially good at uh, setting them up in the first place. It's it's time-consuming, and, and it's just outside of my knowledge base. Yeah, I um, don't like spreadsheets at all. Um, and I like yeah. very simple character sheets, and I keep... I would say most of the character sheets for games that I play in a note document. And then if it's a really complicated character sheet, I keep it in a word document. Um, I will say that Google site, which is essentially like a shared create a web page, is nice because you can put both text and pictures and it's collaborative and you can have different links for everybody's character. You can have a link for their character journal. We did this pre-pandemic for a lot of games. Uh, you can have shared world elements that you put in there. Um, some of the, I remember we had a Google site when we played, do y'all do you remember World's Largest Dungeon? <laughs> so World's Largest Dungeon came out forever ago. I don't know. And it, it was it was a big old dungeon crawl. And, uh, and it made no bones about what it was. And it was a lot of fun. Um, but it had, like, it was fairly important for you to keep track of all those little bitty D&D statistics, right? And so we got a little nuts. We started writing down everything in the site. We wrote down what we had for dinner the night that we played. We wrote down what our characters had for dinner when they rested for camp. Um, uh, I think that can be fun if that's a part of your game and you really want to get into the weeds on little nitpicky kind of keeping track of records. It can be immersive. It can be a lot of fun. Um, you can have like, here's the party treasure sheet with all this stuff and where we're going to spend our money. And I I've done that very successfully in spreadsheets before. Um, but it, you do have to get all the players on board with it. Yeah. I would say that one of the advantage of, of again, Google spreadsheets specifically, if you're playing like a PBTA or, or other simple game uh, where you can see all the characters at once, it makes it easier to remember who's playing who. It makes you, you, you've got the images there. You can refer to it. You can keep all the NPCs together. That's what I uh, like large, about sites, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, larger, more complex games, you can you can set up a whole website uh, or, or multiple pages. Um, in many ways, I think that's actually one of the big strengths of playing online is how accessible that information is. Um, the only downside I ever have as a GM is that I... Need to find someplace else to put my own notes so, so I don't have them in like in the share folder and the players find out all my devious plans. Right. And I'm an editor, so my big problem when I start 
keeping my GM notes and my player notes in Microsoft Word is I then have to create a style sheet for the game, like you do, <laughs> and populate it with fonts that are appropriate. Uh, and that, that can be both time consuming and fun. <laughs> I think another interesting effect of having such copious notes, if you've got a background in creativity, is that there's a, a constant temptation to take it further. Uh, if you're a writer, to actually take what you've written and try to move it into a professional or semi-professional space. Uh, if you're an artist, to try and push it harder that way. And that's not really a bad thing, um, unless you're you're not able to get paid for it. Uh, that is how George R. R. Martin, in fact, got his big break was by taking all the superheroes that he and his friends were playing and then moving them into a world called Wild Cards where you could actually get paid. Yep. Uh, but that's also when he stopped being able to roleplay as much. So it came at a terrible cost. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that's a whole other panel. Move, moving your... That is also yeah. probably a whole Yeah, other that's a whole other panel. So we, we only have like seven minutes left. So I want to get to the last thing. Uh, which is finding the core of your game. Um, so somebody had asked earlier, can you translate any game? And, and obviously the answer is both yes and no. You can translate any game. Is it really still the same game? It's a whole, what is it? The Ark of, is it the Ark of Theseus? I never remember which one it is. It, uh, it sounds like, I think it's the Ark of Theseus. Anyway, it's, 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 if I change this much stuff, am I really left with the same thing afterwards? Um, and so I think that this is an advantage that it's a, it's a silver lining that encourages you to find the core of your game. So, and I was going to use this Golden Cobra game that I wrote as an example. Um, it's called Dystopia, and it involves hand-holding, a lot of hand-holding, and a lot of reaching out and hoping that people take your hands and then trying to figure out what the consequences are if they don't or or, or if they do. Um, and uh, and I was like, that's that's the core of my game because it's a game about it's a coming of age game. It's basically based on YA dystopian fiction. It's about, it's about coming of age and figuring out who you are and fighting against society and, and trying to craft your identity, but doing it as a group collectively with your friends uh, and, and seeing if, if you can make those connections with people or if you are gonna get left behind uh, and, and everyone's gonna move on without you. Um, so, that's a very internet thing. Uh, I'm currently working on this uh, as a text game because texting has this great thing where I text someone and not every text, not every message software does this, but, but many do. I text someone and then I see that they've read my text and then I wait, right? Or I wait and, and they haven't read my text yet. And, and, and then I, I'm like, oh, they've read it. They're going to answer, right? And then I wait. <laughs> um, I'm a little old for this because when I grew up, we didn't text. Um, but uh, I am used to very slow internet communication because I kind of came of age during that. And, uh, and so, so I'm kind of playing around. That's the core of my game. I'm going to see if I can make it work online. Um, it's not going to look the same. There will be no hand-holding. There will be no cutting up things with scissors and paper, which is also a big part of my game, is cutting up things with scissors and paper. Ah, um, but but will it be the same game? No, but will it be the same game? Yeah, kind of will. So, Jason, what do you think? 
uh, I think that 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 all of that is is accurate, but I also think that it's worth um, thinking of games in an iterative process. Uh, when you when you've made the changes, sometimes what it was about isn't the same thing. You can you can have this 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 uh, strong feeling about what your game is fundamentally about, and then you can discover that you were wrong or that it changed, uh, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, change is, is natural and iteration is good for games. Um, I had mentioned, say, a little prayer earlier, which is uh, often referred to as the, uh, the shorter version uh, of another game that takes multiple days, whereas, say, a little prayer takes multiple hours um, and you can do it a, a little bit earlier. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of games that have moved in terms of time, in terms of format, um, and they can be different, but still fundamentally linked, uh, and still matter a great deal. Um, because as a lot of people play games for social experiences, but games are, are fundamentally social experiences. Even if you're playing by yourself, uh, you're, you're thinking about your relation to the game, to the world and, and, and such like, um, you're, you're part of Yggdrasil. Uh, so I think it's it's worth considering um, how that relationship changes, even if it's it's still the same and still something you love. I think it's looking for something new to love, uh, the the new opportunities that it presents, but also the ways that you are different. Um, I'm a, I'm a little artsy. No, no, that's fine. I think that's really good and it's really important. And I would just sort of add a thought that occurred to me while you were saying that, that I think you inspired, which is um, 10 years from now, we're gonna be looking back on the games we wrote during the pandemic. And other people are gonna be looking at those games and be like, oh yeah, that's a pandemic game, like, <laughs> right? They're gonna, they're gonna know, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be a thing, it's gonna be a, 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 a function of where we are as a community and as people right now is going to come out in our games. So are they going to change? Absolutely. And is that a good thing? Yeah, this is going to be part of the record, right? It's going to be, oh, yeah, that game came out in the pandemic. So hey, it reminds me of the writer's strike many moons yeah, ago. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Horrible <laughs> was like, Yep, it resulted. It resulted a whole lot of terrible television, but also Doctor Horrible. Right, uh, and then Doctor Horrible effectively changed oh, the way people make media. Like oh, wow. it, it is without Doctor Who Horrible, I don't think you'd have professional YouTubers. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think we're at the end of our time. Is that right? I think we are. All right. Well, thank you so much to everyone who came to our panel. We cannot see you, but we appreciate you greatly. And uh, we had a lot of fun. And we'll see you uh, online. See you in the funny pages. <laughs>